This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. Uh, or your devices that have a Bible on them. Uh, turn with me to Psalm 19. Turn with me to Psalm 19. I'm sure the brothers will be like, this guy only preaches from the Psalms because we spent some time in the Psalms this weekend. But um, the truth is, I, I love the Psalms. They've been good and faithful friends over the last uh, decade and a half of my life. And so uh, I spend time in them, and so I get to uh, preach them a lot and love preaching them. So Psalm 19. If you have it, say amen. I like that. Look, and if you need help, I'm a black preacher and I like when people talk back to me. Amen. 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 All right. Well, Psalm 19 uh, reads this way to the choir master, Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from his heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. And then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The grass withers. And the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. This morning, uh, if I may, uh, as, as a topic or a pointer, I want us to just wrestle with this question. Can you hear him now? Can you hear him now? Paul Macarelli uh, broke onto the scene in the year 2002 as the Verizon test man. If you remember the early days of those Verizon commercials, he would pop up out of a sewer or be trudging through a swamp or sitting in a busy office or walking around under windmills on a commercial farm or in the middle of a desert or underneath huge power lines. And the question on his lips at every single spot was what? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? It was brilliant advertising, right? Really brilliant advertising, especially in those primitive days of cell phone use for everyone. Like, we were all getting our early cell phones, and it was always like, wait, wait, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. And Verizon was like, no, no, but we are the network that you can always be heard wherever you are. The question was, can you hear me now? And that's the question I believe this text actually raises for us in Psalm 19. Um, at the fall of humanity, when man first sinned, 
our antenna and our connection with God was broken. Our antenna connection with God was broken because of our sin. And in Christ now, we have the, uh, the ability through faith in him to reconnect and reconnect our ears and our hearts to the heart of God himself. But even if you're a follower of Jesus, every now and then it feels like the connection is fuzzy, doesn't it? It feels like the connection is really fuzzy. I grew up in an age that my children will never understand because we had televisions that didn't have cable piped into them. We had bunny ears. Anybody remember bunny ears? And sometimes the bunny ears just weren't doing the thing right, right? You had to stand up and stand behind them. Can you see it now? Can you see it now? And it was always the kid doing the adjusting while the parents were like, no, 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 stand right there. Okay, don't move. Hold that right there. But like, if I don't move, I can't see it either, right? But, but, but what happened is the bunny ears would get just a little bit off and the picture would get really fuzzy and sometimes just go flat white with that awful popcorn sound, right? Just awful sound. Well, our connection with God is sometimes like that too. Like the bunny ears of our faith get off a little bit. The picture gets fuzzy and our, uh, we can't hear. It's maybe through sin or sometimes it's through inattentiveness and sometimes it's just because we let ourselves get too familiar with God, that we don't take in his words and hear his voice as beautifully as we should. And knowing God, um, J.I. Packer says that Christian minds have been conformed to the modern spirit, the spirit that spawns great thoughts of man and leaves room for only small thoughts of God. Sometimes our attention span is just low to the things of God, and so we, we can't hear it. And I think this psalm is actually just a bit of smelling salts for us uh, if we let it be that. And I believe the thing that we need to consider uh, today, my, my big idea, my main thought today is, is that God is speaking, and we need to have attentive ears and open hearts to respond to his voice. God is always speaking. We just need to have attentive ears and open hearts to respond to his voice. As we walk through this text today, I want to do so in three movements, and I'll be out of your way this morning. I first want to consider with you God's glory declared through creation. Second, I want to consider with you God's glory declared to creation. And third, I want to consider what it means for us to respond to the declaration of God's glory. God's glory declared through creation. God's glory declared to creation and how we respond to the declaration of God's glory. Let's look at God's glory being declared through creation. Uh, my, my, my family, uh, I grew up in East Texas. Um, I'm not a Cowboys fan. Praise God in this room, right? I did live in Kansas City for a long time, though, so love y'all. Um, <laughs> love y'all. But, but my, my parents still live in East Texas, and we live in, in the country, and internet connection is a little uh, spotty sometimes out there. But what's hilarious is we would get on FaceTime with them over the last several years, and we had Google Fiber. Like, this is top-of-the-line fiber optic internet. And inevitably, the connection would go bad, and my mom would say, I think something's wrong on your end. Now, I got the fiber optic <laughs> in my house. We got the good internet that doesn't go out very often. And they got the internet that's sometimes a little bit, little bit slow. But she claimed almost every time that something had to be wrong on the connection on our end. Sometimes, but not likely. 
The same thing is true about us with God, though. Like, sometimes we, we wonder, like, man, is God speaking right now? And we're like, maybe, maybe he's not. Like, the connection's bad, and it's probably just because he doesn't care. We, we think that the connection is wrong and bad on God's end of it. We need explanations, and we need answers. And when it doesn't seem like God speaks, we begin to doubt whether or not he's speaking to us at all, or if he's even there. How many of you does that describe in this room today? In the opening pages of scriptures, we see that God is a speaking God. You, you see it happen in the first words in the, in the Bible. The first page of the scripture says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Which is to say that God, the triune, self-existent, eternal God, the uncreated one, is the first cause of life in this universe. And it wasn't a result of chance. It wasn't a result of chance. It wasn't from something just being out there and exploded. The creation happened because God is a speaking God. God spoke. He steps out on nothing and he looks at nothing and he takes nothing into his hands and he speaks into that nothingness and creates everything that we see and even some things that we have not even been able to find to see yet. God speaks and things begin to move. Psalm 33 that says that he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. His words literally create worlds, the heavens and the earth and everything, not because he needed anything, but because he just wanted to. He wanted to show off and share in his glory. But here's the reality of God's beautiful and, and intricately created world. Not only did he speak the universe into existence, the universe is still standing because God is still speaking. He's still speaking. Right of Hebrews says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power, which means that that favorite tree that you walk under at that park, that favorite person that's in your life, your own existence is still here because God is still speaking. I wonder, can you hear him now? Can you hear him now? So where can we hear his voice today, Key, you might say? Well, David points our eyes to the heavens in verse 1. He says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. He points our eyes to the heavens and says every clear sky that you see, every nimbus cloud that you see that's pregnant with, with precipitation, every sunrise, every sunset, every time you see the flash of lightning and hear the roll of thunder, every time you're able to see a constellation in the night sky, they are testifying to you about the glory of your God. I wonder, can you hear him now? I wonder, can you hear him now? This is what theologians refer to, by the way, as general revelation, the uh, ability for human beings to begin to observe God's existence through the natural world. And David wants us to hear today is that the heavens aren't just an object of our scientific exploration. They are the echo of the creation voice of God speaking to us and testifying to us about the glory of God. And they shouldn't just leave us saying, man, what beautiful stars. They should be leaving us asking, what does this say to me about my God? What does this say to me about my God? It, it should especially say to us that uh, if, if, what Job, if what Job says is true, because Job says in, in Job 26 that these are just the outskirts of his ways. And how small of a whisper do we hear? But he says, oh, everything that we see, it's just the fringes. Like you haven't seen anything 
yet about what he's like. And we would expect David to say that the heavens show off the glory of God, right? We expect him to say they show off the glory of God, but he says the heavens and the sky are speaking. Speaking, they're declaring, and they are proclaiming, which means, family, that behind all of creation is a sound that is being declared. The very existence of the heavens is a testimony that God is still speaking, still ordering, still sustaining, and they are still responding in worship to the one who has created them. They are still an echo of the creative and sustaining voice of God. Can you hear him now? Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. He says in, in verse 2, it's just like the, the heavenly beings uh, in, in Revelation chapter 4 who sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The, they are singing in eternity over and over, day and night, night and day, and the heavens are declaring day and night, night and day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, testifying to you testifying to me about the God who creates and sustains. I wonder, can you hear him now? Can you hear him now? Words are going out, declaring who could create something as beautiful as this. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice cannot be heard, verse 3 says. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the earth. The heavens are declaring with words. And that voice spreads to the ends of the earth. But our problem is the perception of it. One one, uh, scholar said that that our perception is contingent upon the observer, not on if creation is speaking or not. It's contingent on, on us. He says, to the sensitive, the heavenly praise of God's glory may be an overwhelming experience. But to the insensitive, sky is simply sky. And stars are only stars, and they point to absolutely nothing. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, by the way, that the creative order, what, what could be known about God is actually plain to us if we just open our eyes and if we're paying attention to, to what has been created in the world. The heavens are testifying. There's an old hymn called the uh, Spacious Firmament on High. It's a wonderful title, right? spacious firmament on high and joseph addison says that the heavens are singing as they shine that the hand that made us is divine that the heavens are testifying and what are the heavens testifying to us about the grace of god you might ask me well they're testifying about his greatness they're testifying about his greatness isaiah 40 uh, says that they testify that he is the one who's measured the waters and marked off the heavens with the span of his hand like can you imagine the size and magnitude of the hand of God that he's able to say, all right, we'll put a sun over here and we'll put other stars over here. Can you imagine? That's what the the heavens are declaring to us, the might and power and majesty of God. They're declaring his his greatness as as he appoints mountains to stand up here and valleys to sit down here and waters to go no further than here, Psalm 104 says to us. In their diversity, diversity we see in the heavens and all of creation, they declare God's creativity. They declare God's creativity. Like, have you ever considered, like, just as you walk and look at trees, like, there are a lot of different types of just oak trees. Like, think about that. God got real creative and real meticulously creative just because he wanted to, just because he delighted to. They, they show how extensive and extravagant God is. I have a friend who is an artist in Kansas City. 
owns the best coffee shop in Kansas City. And he said to me one time, he said, man, here's how creative God is. He says, there are flowers on the tops of mountains that no human eye will ever see, but God paints the back of them. He doesn't have to. Like he, could, he could just have the tops painted so we could maybe fly over. Like, he paints the entire flower just because he loves it, just because he delighted in it, just because he thinks it's beautiful and he is extensive and he is extravagant. The seasons in their rhythms testify to the faithfulness of God. Have you considered that summer and winter and their ongoing turning up are just a testimony of God's grace? Where do you see that? Well, I hear it in the covenant after the fall, after the uh, after the uh, the flood. He promises, no, hey, the seasons will continue. As long as the earth remains, the seasons will continue. They are testifying to the hand of God. They are testifying to the meticulous power as he upholds the universe. Family, God is speaking. God is speaking, and we need to have attendant ears and open hearts to respond to his voice. Can you hear him now? David moves on. He gives us an example of how the heavens are declaring the glory of God, and he points our eyes to the mighty sun. Points our eyes to the mighty sun. Now, in Egyptian mythology, the sun was something to be worshipped. The sun was, was the supreme God. It was something to be worshipped. But what David says, David flips it on his head in verses 4 through 6. He says, no, no, the sun's not a God. The sun is a humble servant of the living God. The sun is just a, it's powerful, but it's just a humble servant of the living God, day in and day out, doing his bidding. Look at it. He says, in them, in the heavens, he set a tent for the sun, verse 4. Verse 5, he says, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving its chamber. And it, like a strong man, it runs its course with joy. And its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. And the sun is a powerful thing to behold, isn't it? One theologian was reflecting uh, on, the, on the magnitude of the sun one time, and he says, hey, at a million miles in diameter, one million Earths would fit into the sun. It would take a jet plane flying from Earth's surface at 500 miles per hour, well over a month of nonstop flight to reach the center of the sun from the edge of the sun. The, the heat that reaches the Earth is so perfect that it keeps us from freezing solid or burning up. And its light is just the perfect brightness that we can walk outside at even the brightest part of the day and our eyes not be injured. He says the power of the sun is so great that our local electric companies, it would cost them more than 7 million years worth of the total goods and services produced by the United States to run the sun for just one minute. That sun, that majestic thing, that thing that is like awe-inspiring is like, no, no, you should see the guy that made me. You should see the one that made me, and it runs its course with delight and with joy, it says. It's just like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. I can relate to that. The chamber, by the way, is not is, 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 is where, the, where the marriage was either, either performed or the marriage was consummated. He comes out like a joyful man, ready to run his course with joy. Now, I understand the joy of the bridegroom. I don't understand running a course with strength and joy. I tolerate running and endure running if I have to do it. But the sun enjoys the work of running its course through the sky. The sun enjoys it. And it's a regular action that the sun doesn't get bored with. And G.K. Chesterton says God doesn't get bored with it either. He says, he says, man, God has a playful childlikeness about him in the sense that he, every day he, he looks at the sun and he says, hey, do it again. Hey, hey, do it again. 
Hey, do it again. And he keeps on doing it. And every morning that God says to the son, hey, do it again. And every morning the son says, it's my pleasure. And every morning that you see the son come over the horizon, it is a testimony of the God who upholds that son is upholding you right now. Brothers and sisters, I wonder, can you hear him now? Can you hear him now? God is speaking and we need to have attentive ears and open hearts to respond to this. Well, how can you grow in that kind of responsiveness? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, a couple of places in Scripture. Go read Job 38 through 41 from time to time. Go read Job 38 through 41 and hear the testimony of God's power over his creation. Go read Psalm 104 and read about God's meticulous care over his creation and then go for a walk and listen and watch, and look, and say, oh my gosh. Like, there's a verse in Psalm 104 that the young lions roar seeking their food from God. Every roar of a lion is a prayer. Daily bread, Lord. Daily bread, Lord. It trained my heart as I thought about that to say, man, every song of a bird in the morning is a song of worship to a God and a prayer. Daily bread, God. Daily bread, God. All of creation is testifying to God. And it invites us to be overwhelmed by his care and his beauty and his glory. We were driving through uh, Glacier National Park a few years ago. My wife and I were on a trip. And um, we were going on what is known as the going to the sun road. And as we're driving the going to the sun road, we looked out and beheld a valley and a mountain that I wept. I wept looking at it because I was like, the God who I know as my father made that. He made that. And it sits there because he tells it to sit there. That valley sits there because he told it to sit there. And it stays there because he's upholding it by the word of his power. What a powerful God we serve. What a powerful God we serve. Brothers and sisters, creation is declaring the glory of God. The sky is proclaiming his handiwork. Listen to him. The second thing. We looked at God's glory declared through creation. we got to move, sorry. Uh, and we talk about God's glory declared to creation. Verses 7 and 9 tell us uh, uh, what theologians call uh, special revelation. So you have general revelation where you can kind of see some things about God in nature. But special revelation is where God has spoken himself about himself. We get special revelation refers to, to the scriptures in theological terms, God makes himself known to mankind. David says in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. With our New Testament eyes, when we hear the word law, we kind of shrink back. We're like, law? Like, whoa. Like, law is not reviving to my soul to think about that, right? But, 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 uh, but David says the law of the Lord is perfect and then it revives the soul. Well, how could he say something like that? Well, the law in David's age was referring to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And he says that there is something about the testimony of God in, in, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that revives the soul. Well, well, how could that be? Well, it is God's self-revelation to his people. It's God's self-revelation to his people. And you see throughout the Torah how God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how he keeps his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It reminded the people of God that when things Look, the most bleak. God is the one who saves and redeems and delivers and keeps his promises. On a dark day, that's a pretty reviving word, isn't it? 
It's a pretty reviving word to be reminded how God saves and delivers and keeps his word. He goes on. He says, the testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. And the simple person, by the way, is not uh, someone who just isn't smart. It's someone who's prone to making bad decisions. He says that reading the word of God is able to make a person who's prone to make bad choices wise unto the Lord. That means the word of God is, is, is clear, to, clear enough that a believing heart can take it in and be made wise. Verse 8, he says that the precepts of the Lord bring joy to the heart by leading the hearer towards righteousness. He says that the commandments of the Lord enlighten his eyes, or in other words, it reveals the truth about our existence in the world and how we relate to God. I could go on, but I think you understand the point he's making to us is that the word of God is a testimony of God's self-revelation to us. The heavens can show us the outskirts of God's ways. God's word declares with evidence how he is and who he is, and it makes him knowable wonder can you hear him now through his word the character of the word aligns with the character of the one who spoke it and the purpose of God in speaking is to bring his will to bear on our lives I love reading uh, theologians who love God there are some books in theology that read really cold and really scientifically but I love reading books about God by people who love God right J.I. Packer is one of those. He wrote an amazing book called Knowing God that I highly recommend. But the follow-up to Knowing God is, is called God is Spoken, where he's talking about the nature of Scripture. And Packer speaks with almost a giddiness about the fact that God has spoken. Like it's almost, he's just like so happy that God is a speaking God. And he says that this revelation of God in his word is God finding us and sharing his secrets with us. That's friendship language, isn't it? That's friendship language. He says, man, it's like, it's like God finding us and saying, hey, man, can I tell you something about myself? Can I tell you about myself? You can't know me otherwise, but can I, can I tell you about myself? That's what the word of God does for us. And, and if the words of creation can produce all the goal of God's self-disclosure in Packer's words, is so he can make friends with us. Brothers and sisters, have you considered that? That God's word to you is his speech to you so that he could make friends with you. Like, when you try to make friends with someone, you ask them questions to know who they are and what they're about, and you reveal things about yourself to declare who you are and what you're about. Brothers and sisters, God has spoken. He speaks to us through his word. And I wonder, can you hear him now? Can you hear him through his word? David lets us know that this is such good news. It's so, such good news, in fact, that he says in verse 10 that God's word is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Family, when I think about when I think about it, this is the only kind of covetousness that the Bible endorses. The only kind of covetousness that the Bible endorses. We know that we shouldn't covet things, but he says, covet more of God's word. Covet more of God's speech. He says, hey, you need to have this yearning to possess something when you have his word. God's word is not just content to, to convey. It is riches to receive. It's not just a specimen to be studied. It is a sweetness to be savored. He says, God's word has spoken to us and God has revealed himself to us. And his self-revelation is more desirable than the greatest treasure or the richest food. Because in it, our great and glorious God, it says, can I tell you who I am and what I'm like? 
Can I tell you who I am and what I like? Think about this. God could have left us to ourselves in our fall, in our sin. God could have left us to ourselves, but he continues to speak so he can make himself known to us. What a merciful God we have. What a merciful God we have. God is speaking. We need to have attentive ears and open hearts to respond to his voice. Well, how should we respond? Let's move to our our third part, and, and I'll close. How do we respond to the declaration of God's glory? One of the dangers in dealing with God's word, uh, for those of us who are in ministry, but also for those of us who have been believers and followers of Jesus for a long time, a danger we have is that we sometimes will stand over the word of God and read it like a scientist observing a specimen, right? Like we study it to see what's there. Not so it affects us, but we try to stand over it and kind of sort it out. But family, can I just tell you that as we read God's Word, we should also be letting God's Word read us. We need to let God's Word read us. That's why I pray in the mornings, and you heard me pray at the beginning of this, God, would you comfort me by your Word? Would you confront me by your Word? Would you conform me into the image of your Son through your Word? Because as I read read God's Word, I need it to turn and examine me to see where I'm in line or out of line with what God has spoken and said about himself. David realizes that in verse 11, that the law of God rightly orients him in God's world, but it gives him pause as he considers the rewards for obedience. So he stops and he prays for forgiveness, and he prays for protection, and he prays for acceptance. Look at verse 12. He says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, and then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. David realizes, in light of God's self-revelation in his word, he has a problem. Because God's self-revelation is a revelation of his holiness and his grace and his mercy and his justice that punishes sins. It's a revelation of his jealous heart that won't let his people run off in any kind of direction and settle for idols. And in light of that, David realizes that though there's great reward in keeping God's law, he can't do it by himself. He can't do it. And so he says, hey, Lord, I can't discern my errors. I can't see myself completely. There's there's something in my life that needs correction. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. He turns his eyes and first asks for God's forgiveness. God, would you declare me innocent? of hidden thoughts. And he asked for his forgiveness for his presumptuous sins. The hidden sins, by the way, are the inadvertent sins, the things that you just don't see about yourself. You don't know that they're sin until somebody shows you that they're sin. But the presumptuous sins, the presumptuous sins are the high-handed sins. They're the kind of sin where you tell your kid, hey, don't touch that, and they go touch it anyway, right? You know the word, you just don't want to listen to it right now. He says, would you declare me innocent and keep me back from these presumptuous sins. He's like, Lord, there are places in my life where I will commit presumptuous sin if you don't, by your grace, hold me back, lead me far away from temptation, deliver me from the evil one. Emily, how many of us give in to presumptuous sin just all the time? How many of you is that true right now? You're high-handedly going after things that you know the Lord has told you no to. Instead of trying to fight by yourself, instead of trying to fight by yourself, do what David does. 
and run to the strength that only God can provide. Run to the grace that only God can provide. God, would you declare me innocent from my hidden faults? And then would you help me by your grace, by your strength, by your power, by your spirit, help me fight off presumptuous sins? Would you let them not have dominion over me? I don't want them to rule my life a second longer. Would you let that be your prayer today? Would you let that be your prayer today, family? God, his speaking, David knows he's imperfect. He knows he's prone to the sinful, high-handed words. But, but these are the words of a contrite sinner who knows that he needs the grace of God so much that he says, hey, God, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in my sight? Not just the things that I say and do, but everything I think, would you bring it in line with your word? Everything that I think, because God, I believe that you are speaking in God. I want to have my ears open and my heart attentive and responsive to the ways that you are speaking. What about you today, brothers and sisters? Can you hear him now? Are your ears open to him? Is your heart responsive to him right here and right now? Because if it's not, David is letting us know this not because God stopped speaking. It's not because God stopped speaking. We've been stopping up our ears, family, since the fall. We have been stopping up our sins, our ears through hidden sins and through high-handed, presumptuous sins. That's been the way of humanity since Adam and Eve. We didn't see and behold the glory of God, Romans 1 tells us, like we should have. We didn't hear his word and we high-handedly disobeyed it. And Paul tells us that because of that reality, all we deserve is God's wrath but family can i tell you about the mercy of my god he just kept speaking he just kept speaking he continued to speak and continued to reveal himself and continued to speak through creation and continued to reveal himself in human history and the climactic moment where we see the speech of God coming forward to show the mercy of God is in sending his son down for us. The writer of Hebrews says that long ago, in many ways and in many times, God has spoken uh, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power and after making purification for our sins he sat down at the majesty of the right hand of God John tells us in his gospel that that eternal one that God spoke and he sent him the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth family God has spoken and I wonder can you hear him now can you hear him now, family? You didn't deserve for God to keep on speaking, but he just kept speaking, and he sent his son anyway. But through Christ, he didn't just speak to you about his majesty at creation. He didn't just speak to you about your sin and your faults. He revealed to us the fullness of his character, his glory, his grace, and his truth. Let me see if I can make it plain to you as I get ready to take my seat. See, Jesus was arrested without probable cause. I wonder, can you hear his love now? He was beaten and mocked and tried on trumped up charges. And I wonder, can you hear his grace to you now? And he was put to death for charges that belonged to you. I wonder, 
Can you hear his mercy now, family? And they hung him high and they stretched him wide. And I wonder, can you hear on that cross his mighty love for you, family? And at about the ninth hour, the the gospel writers let us know that he breathed his last and declared, it is finished, paid in full. I wonder, can you hear his forgiveness now? And he laid in that grave, family, all night Friday. And he laid in that grave all day Saturday. And he laid in that grave all night Saturday night. But my Bible tells me that early Sunday morning, he got up with all power in his hands. Sin and death had been defeated. I wonder, can you hear his victory shout now? To the wayward, that God gives you a word of welcome. To the sinner, that God extends to you salvation. And to the weary, that God extends to you a word and an offer of rest in Christ alone. I wonder, family, can you hear him now? Can you hear him now? Our God is speaking today. He's speaking through his creation. He has spoken through his word and he speaks still now a word of mercy and forgiveness and salvation through his son. And I'm praying that Christ's church continues to be a church that has ears open to the words of God, hearts open to respond to the things of God and mouths to declare the mercy and the grace of God right here in South Philly. Maybe you're here today and you would say that you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, guess what? I know that my friend Jeff and the staff and the volunteers here are happy that you're here. They made plans for you to be here today. And today we ask that you would consider this Jesus, that you would open your heart and open your ears and receive this word of mercy and forgiveness from Jesus himself. He came and lived the life you and I should have lived but couldn't. And he died the death you and I deserve to die so that by faith in him, we could be forgiven our sins and made right with God. And he didn't stay dead. He got up again, which gives us also the hope of resurrection victory with him. Would you turn away from your sin today and turn away from your sinful pursuits today and hear the word of the Lord today? And maybe you're here and you would say you're a follower of Jesus, but your life has been riddled with presumptuous sins. Would you just hear God's call today just to repent? And would you hear his word of forgiveness and grace for the, for, for the repentant sinner? Uh, God's word says in, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you hear God's word and his invitation today and let that go and turn to him in faith and repentance today? Family, our God is speaking. Would you have open ears to hear him and hearts to receive him today by faith? Let's pray.